Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2021. Episode 337, The Ether and Beyond. Presented by Richard Ruane, Diogo Noguera, Sarah Blunt, Daniel Wilson, and Nura Rose. Hey everybody, this is Richard, and uh, I am uh, really pleased to introduce you to the Aether and Beyond. Uh, and I will probably switch how I say ether or aether at least seven times during this panel. Uh, and it's only an hour, so that's like a record. Uh, I am here with some of the most exciting fantasy space creators I know. Um, and uh, it's a chance to, uh, I, and I'll come back around and introduce myself less, but uh, I wanted to start with uh, uh, introducing this great group. Uh, and I'll start with Diogo, uh, because I think the person who got me like really super psyched about like um, space fantasy is a thing that was still happening in the RPG space was the Kickstarter for cosmic for solar blades and cosmic spells, which I almost got backwards, even though it's sitting right here <laughs> next to my computer. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll pick on Diego first and, and let you introduce yourself. So, oh hi, I my name is Diogo Nogueira. I'm a author, game designer, and graphic artist from Brazil. And, and I choose really complicated names for my games. And, and, and I'm trying to rethink that and trying to come up with, with better names for, for, for my new games. It's too long. Sharp Swords and Sinister Spells, Dark Streets and Darker Secrets, Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells. So I'm trying to keep them small now, like Sword Quest or, or The Dead Are Coming or something <laughs> like smaller. And, and I made the Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells because I, I, I've always been fascinated with science fantasy. Like, I'm a huge Star Wars geek. And, and not, not that kind of fan that criticizes every, every little thing. Like, ah, the new movies. I like everything. I like the prequels. I like the new movies. I like the comics. I like the, the, the cartoons. I, I just love... Uh, and, and it's fiction. So if, if the new films don't align with the older ones, I don't care. It's just fiction, like the Star Wars visions now. It's just completely different from the from the movies, and and I love it anyway. And Stronger Blades, it's like a mixture of of the stuff I like from fantasy, like from dark fantasy, and with Star Wars, with heavy metal comics, Metal Hurlan, with which I I studied a lot on, on my on my college years because I had an incredible uh, professor that knew a lot about comics and, and, and artists in general. And it's inspired by, by 80s cartoons too. And I just love to mixture this, this fantasy and, and science fiction to make something unique and something that can go pretty much anywhere. I mean, if, science, if you just go science fiction, just fantasy, you, you limit yourself what you can do. With science fantasy, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And... and and still have some feelings because you can set some key elements and make it unique and somehow. So, ah, oh, and I wrote House of the Blood King recently, which is kind of 
a horror science fantasy kind of adventure of like space uh, dimensional hopping vampires and this living uh, manner they live in. So yeah. Any <laughs> uh, winning Diogo So. Oh yeah, I, I forget <laughs> that sometimes. <laughs> uh, uh, and Nora, uh, if you don't mind being next. Not at all. Um, I'm Nora. I uh, I write Monkey's Paw games. Um, so my my big thing was recently for science fantasy was uh, Unconquered, which is almost 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 done for print copies. The the free rules are out, and people have been really excited for that. But um, I was drawn to science fantasy because I grew up on like like I think one of the first comics I ever actually read was an old edition of Weird Tales and like stuff like um, Spelljammer and uh, and like John Carter of Mars and all that kind of stuff. And, and like Diego was saying, it, it's such a fun blend of like your favorite parts of science fiction and your favorite parts of fantasy. And like, mm. um, and so I've, I've just been uh, uh, really, really interested in, in stuff like, um, yeah, that, that kind of uh, expansion of like, weird science and magic and, and like sort of pulp uh, novels and pulp art and 80s cartoons and heavy metal and all that stuff. So I that's mostly what I do. But also, again, shout out to Soil Blades and Cosmic Spells, which is like, I, I'll rant about it later. It's so good. It's so good. Thank you. And then uh, uh, Sarah and Dan of Planar Compass, I'll, I'll let you choose how... I'll talk. I'll go Sarah first. Uh, Hi, I'm Sarah Brunt. My pronouns are she/her, and I co-write uh, Planar Compass with DM. I was drawn to weird fantasy and science fantasy um, for a lot of pop culture and a lot of novels, Star Wars, Star Trek, kind of blending together with. Watching Ralph Bakshi's Wizards at a way too young age, um, but I'm you know, just very much um, enjoying the ability to have science fiction in a way that makes it more accessible by not getting bogged down with some really technical stuff. Which is why I do this, and I don't work for NASA. And Dean Wilson. Hi, uh, I'm DM Wilson. I'm the other half of Planar Compass, um, and I think was I was drawn to science fantasy because of the kind of bizarre and fantastical things you can get out of it than just traditional medieval Tolkien fantasy. Um. So I think I had a few questions prepared and I think we're going to go kind of, oh, and hi, I'm Richard Ruane. I, uh, my pronouns are he, him. Uh, I just uh, created Enoch's Week. It is in sort of a beta format right now on, on various shops uh, that is text only, but it is in layout right now. It just got it back from uh, Jared Sinclair, who is an incredible editor that I know several of us work with. Uh, and uh, pass that on to uh, Sin who is an incredibly talented graphic designer. And I did a, a cover reveal a few weeks ago. Uh, and uh, I was always fascinated by Spelljammer uh, 
And then I started seeing all these other things pop up that were sort of Spelljammer adjacent uh, and started kind of going back and digging into um, a lot of things that I always loved and started seeing kind of the science fantasy, uh, space fantasy, uh, and and uh, kind of sword and planet elements kind of binding together a lot of things I'd always really, really gotten excited about. Um, and uh, so that was uh, that was kind of kind of where Enoch's Wake came from. Uh, and uh, that's at a, I won't like go into too much about that, but uh, uh, it was initially attempted to do Spelljammer with Traveler rules, and then I and then I rewrote the Traveler rules, so um, broke that. Um, uh, so uh, I think the first question I wanted to ask, uh, and I think uh, Nora and Diogo already kind of hit a few items on this, but sort of really kind of digging into the, the the weeds what what besides sort of outside of the gaming sphere sort of got you interested in the idea of science fantasy or space fantasy um sort of what media or what kind of what's your personal appendix in uh and i know that the uh dm and sarah just reminded me before we started that uh you you actually have a whole section of inspirations in uh planar compass so uh uh, I'll start with you guys, uh, and I'll, I'll go to DM first. So. Yeah, so I think the two things that, the probably the three things that really inspired me at the beginning of when Sarah and I started working on Planar Compass, back when it was called Dreamhaven, uh, was Spelljammer, uh, Planescape, and Troika. So I... All through all three of those things were kind of like stewing around in my head. Um, and then obviously I've always been like a huge uh I've always been really interested in like the planes and like the manual of the planes and like so whenever I would play D D as a player, I'd always be like, Can we like can we go like through a portal or something? Like let's go do something else. Uh so like that was like some of the first stuff when I started the DM uh that I would create. Because it was always very, I think, I don't know if it's because I loved Star Trek or a kid as, or what, but I've always been really attracted to the idea of just like jumping around to really different places constantly. Um, and that's what I think science fantasy can offer. Uh, Sarah, what about you? Um, what I bring to Planar Compass is like a lot less. I'm not truly steeped in tabletop role-playing or Dungeons and Dragons history like Dan is. So a lot of the things that I bring to it are um, scans. They're, they're more um, fairy tale weird and the opportunity to explore um, something entirely different. A lot of the things that um, the, the influences that came are, um, from books that I might be reading that are not necessarily um, very much like related to the astral sea, but there are elements in it that I want to draw in, which is the thing that I think is makes science fantasy work that can pull in inspiration from so many different places to make weirder and weirder locations to make more and more to interact with. Do you have specific things that you were thinking of when you when you started pulling things in that kind of like inspired specific elements or are there there are there are there like big inspirations that you sort of wanted to make sure you got in there or that you kept finding kind of popping up or cropping in? 
<clears throat> can't um, pinpoint exactly right at this moment. That's okay. Nora, when we talked a few months ago about a science fantasy project, uh, you were one of the few people who who like immediately said like, "Is this more John Carter? Or is this more Flash Gordon?" Uh, and uh, sort of like, so I, I have a sense of sort of where some of your your vibes come from. But like, what are your big inspirations for Unconquered? So I uh, I also did a, a pretty big um, appendix N, which I was just looking up because uh, some of them I remember and others I forget. But um, so John Carter of Mars and Spelljammer, Troika, Heavy Metal, those are big ones. Uh, so, uh, Tecumel, which is Empire of the Petal Throne, was a huge inspiration of mine because that was like one of the first times where I, I started reading something and it felt so new. Like this wasn't traditional hard sci-fi and it wasn't like Tolkien-esque sort of fantasy. I was just kind of like, what is this and where did it come from? And then the whole history of Emma Barker's bananas, fascinating, fascinating human being. Um, but also, uh, hilariously, a lot of music I find very inspirational for for, um, for writing Sword and Planet stuff. So like Sun Ra, uh, MF Doom, Clipping. Uh, I got called out by, by Luna the other day on Twitter because she's like, now who's responsible for all the Blue Oyster Cult lyrics in Unconquered? And I was like, um, me. But like, that, I mean, that to me, is it's that kind of sci-fi element where there's like magic and technology mixing and um, Sarah mentioned this earlier but it's the idea of, of like sci-fi elements but instead of there being a big hard sci-fi like techno battle explanation it's just like yeah but it's magic though like how does this how does this spaceship fly it's magic it's just, it's just don't worry <laughs> about it. it's, you put on a helmet and you see space squids and it's magic don't worry about it I love that I love it if that's me it's great I think it's worth bringing Adil, up that. What about you? I know that. Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sarah, I just want to say that. I just want to say I think it's worth bringing up that like the fact that the hand waving is integral to it because it's such a powerful tool. It allows you to excise what isn't serving you in order to bring in what is. I. I people get a little annoyed at me when I remind them of this, but I'm like most science fiction about space travel, especially interstellar space travel, is. Like especially once you get past the hard science pieces, once you get to the real space opera, most of the stuff we're talking about is science fantasy anyway, even though they they sort of like put like a veneer of, of physics over it. Uh, because we don't we have we have no idea how we would travel inter you know, we would travel yeah. you know across interstellar distances without without like, you know, generation ships or, or something like that. So Duco, what are some of your inspirations? I know you talked a little bit about some of them, but sort of digging in. Yeah, I mean, in, in gaming, uh, there was like Dungeon Crawl Classics first brought my attention to this possibility of fantasy with science fiction. You know, I'm, I'm a huge DCC RPG fan, so uh, the Purple Planet one was really inspirational to me. And it, it was because of, of DCC that, that I started reading Appendix, Appendix N. So, I mean, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, you know Jack Vance, and, and even and even the Dune series I read after DCC, and even uh, Almeric from Robert Robert E. Howard, and but but something that really stick to me for my childhood were the cartoons, you know, like uh, He Man, the Masters of the Universe, Skeleton Warriors, uh, Black Star, Tundar the Barbarian, 
for all cartoons that I really loved as a kid and are really a huge influence from from the stuff I create until today. Like I'm making a game inspired by Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm releasing a game of space dinosaur rangers inspired by dinosaurs, you know. And and there's comics too. Like there is a, after I, I wrote Summer Blazing Comic Spells, I got to know this this independent comics called Space Riders uh, by Black Mask, Mask Studios. It's fantastic. It's, it has really bright colors and like this underground artwork by Alex Zirtis. I think it's his name. It's fantastic. Like It's the comics I wish uh, I had the license to make an RPG about and use the Solar Blades and Cosmic Spell System, you know? And... But there's like uh, Metal Hurlan comics, like the heavy metal uh, comics were all really influential to me. I read them as, as a teenager and I studied them at college, so it's really important to me. And movies, I mean, Star Wars, a huge influence on, on everything I create, I think. I didn't like Star Trek when I was uh, like a teenager or something. I, I, I learned to like Star Trek after I was an adult because it's a bit more intellectual than Star Wars, and I, I use it to find it boring because there isn't laser swords fighting and stuff like that. So I like Star Trek now, but you know, there's the heavy metal, the the the, the movie, uh, Dune. I really love it. Fire, Firefly, Mad Max. It's really, it's you know, post-apocalyptic, and I think that's that's mostly it for me. It's more like the the 80s cartoons and the comics. And you know, Dark Sun, Dark Sun, it's really a science fiction, science fantasy setting, right? And my first concept for, for Solar Blades was I want to make a Dark Sun, but in space, you know, that was like the, the, the main concept of uh, Solar Blades was just Dark Sun mm -hmm. in space, right? Uh, I was that would transitions well to a question I was going to ask, and so I'll pick on Diego first to like answer this question. Um, in addition, like we also we always think of uh, space fantasy or science fantasy as kind of a combination of like space opera with sort of high fantasy or magic, but that sort of like bringing in dark sun um, creates sort of like this magic space outer space post apocalypse. Yeah, uh, in in solar in the setting for in the built-in setting for solar blades and cosmic spells. Uh, uh, so I'll let you talk about a little bit, like uh, kind of bringing in influences that are bigger than just like oh, it's space opera, but with elves. Uh, which yeah, yeah. So like, I'll tell me a little bit about sort of like you went with a really weird aliens, some really cool weird aliens that are not like classic fantasy races that you might find in Spelljammer. Um, or even in Troika a little, to a certain extent. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit, sort of like, what were what were some of the opportunities when you start hand-waving sort of some of the science elements? What opportunities do kind of opened up for you? Yeah, I remember when I was, I was playing DCC with the, the folks from Metal Gods of Pure Hardad. We used it to say, like, uh, our good fantasy is post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic fantasy, you know? Like, the, the stuff we really liked, it was really, there was this great civilization of the past and this great cataclysm and everything's fucked up. You're just trying to survive and see what's out there. So I wanted to do that, but with, with space fantasy. So 
and Dark Sun was perfect for that. Like there was this really huge empire, and they discovered sorcery, and sorcery spread out through the universe. And the, there was this really powerful uh, sorcerers from the void that use technology to, to dominate the universe. So there, all the sectors of the universe are like domains of these people just trying to get by and, and fly from one sector to another and find some independent, independent place and try to live your life while you can. And the technology is controlled because if you have technology, you have some kind of liberty, although nowadays it's kind of the opposite, right? We're, Kind of being controlled by by technology, but in the game, uh, the the powerful individuals try to control technology to limit what uh, aliens and, and everybody can do. So I wanted to make a, a science fantasy game that is all there's all these possibilities, but trying to still keep it kind of like hetero and technology wasn't really always the solution. But it, because if you got access to like a like an internet or something, you can be traced, you can be tracked, and, and it, it's dangerous, you know. And gives me excuse to, to say it's, it's really safer for you to physically connect to a terminal instead of trying to use Wi-Fi or something because it makes things too easy, right? So, mm -hmm. yes. I don't know, I wanted to make something dark and, 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 and like, like dark fantasy with science fiction instead of just high fantasy with science fiction. Right. Uh, Sarah and Dan, you guys a little bit like uh, like in, when Enoch's wake. I think I, I really wanted to do the uh, the like you know you're standing on the deck of a wooden ship sailing sailing among the stars kind of aesthetic. Um, beyond just like hey, there's elves and there's and there's a you know there's this vast sea of stars or an astral sea. Um, or a wild void, as Spelljammer always called it, uh, or the yeah, wild space. Sorry, not the wild void. That was my attempt to rebrand Spelljammer that failed. So yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, that was a. Uh, you guys really, in addition to sort of like setting sort of the classic, you know, D and D BX core, and kind of opening space up for it. You you added some stuff. Uh, sort of where where did you sort of what were you bringing in? What or like what what were you excited to bring in? What was what did like adding magic to things sort of like uh, open up for you? Yeah, um, I think like for, you know, and I think Nora and a couple other people kind of talked about not wanting to get into um, technical solutions, um, and that was one of the things. Like you know, I've always like had a um romantic idea of Spelljammer, but I never ran it. I would just like look at it and be like, oh this is cool. But like I knew like I what the the setting came from our home game and I never kept track of of details. And I knew when I was writing this, I was like, I don't care about air. I don't care about water. This is this is like um you know this is 18 like 19th century sailing fantasy. You hop on a ship and you go off. And if there's trouble that's a story in itself, but I don't, I don't want like people to feel like they need to keep track of like how much oxygen there is. So I was like, there's just, there's oxygen. I don't care, whatever. Like it, you don't need a bubble to, to go through this. It's, and that's why we kind of lean more into like, this is a really kind of extra dimensional sea as opposed to traditional space. Mm -hmm. 
The only time that you need a bubble in our game is if you need like some kind of air helmet and you're spelunking underneath the ship. <laughs> yeah, and maybe if that's that's the theme of the adventure, right? The theme of adventure is something is destroying the oxygen. So in that adventure, we'll focus right. on on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dora, how does sort of like I think when we talked, we talked a little bit about like sort of like bringing in the elements of sort of sword and planet where like teleportation rather than sailing are kind of is the signature travel. How do, how do you sort of like work on questions of transportation and getting around and sort of travel adventure uh, in something like Unconquered? So I'm um, it's kind of the same, but different almost uh, to to how Planet Compass uh, approaches it because I I like to me the, the little fiddly bits about the adventure like like the, the journey is kind of the adventure so like similar to what you were saying but it's like oh um, you're three days into your astral journey and uh, but you then you run into I don't know like a void storm because you can spot void or deep on anything mm-hmm. and it sounds cool um, and now your journey is going to take twice as long, but you only have enough food for half that kind of thing, right? So, like, what do you do? And so um, I took a lot of inspiration from what um, uh, Feral Indie Studios are doing uh, with, like, Into the Word and Wild and uh, Vast and Dark, because they make, first of all, just, like, some of the best head scrolls and foot scrolls around. But also I find that they, they have really good ideas about what makes, like, a a travel adventure, specifically a travel adventure. And also another big one for that that I've taken a lot of inspiration from is Ultraviolet Grasslands, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite things to come out in a while. Because the whole thing is, is about that is about that journey. And just, it's a journey, like, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I love I love travelogues. I love um, um, I love traveling. So games about traveling and, and about the steps of the journey. Uh, I really wanted to include in, in Unconquered as sort of a um, like there is the like enter dungeon kill monster kind of thing, but there's also the like journey to a place that is different and new and exciting, but not a falls into the usual sort of like colonial imperialistic kind of the this blank space on the map just says here there be dragons and then there are like the natives there that are vaguely hostile. No, 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 we're not we're not going to do any of that. So um, a lot of it is about like going to new places and seeing fantastic things and then meeting the the cultures and the people there mm-hmm. and um and being exposed to to new and exciting ideas and, and people and, and things and, and that i think is is like that's why we travel right is we, we travel to to see things and experience things try the food over here and see the and see the see the sites so so that kind of um was my main philosophy as far as writing sort of traveling dates. Mm-hmm. That brings up a question I did not put into our notes. So I apologize that I'm going to throw a curveball into our carefully, carefully planned notes that everybody, I know everybody studied with great, I didn't study <laughs> with great, I don't remember what I said. Uh, but I know I forgot to put this in. It's sort of a, when you're introducing a space fantasy or some of sword and planet setting, where have you started? Like, uh, I know that uh, 
Dreamhaven was specifically like a location in the Astral Sea. Uh, there was a fairly urbane sort of like urban sort of setting. If if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, uh, is that is that am I getting that right? Um, it's a little bit more remote. It's it's okay. it's kind of like a um, like a like a an island tr- trading post type thing. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's definitely we tried to make it so that it could be as populated or you know uh, isolated as people wanted to. Uh, but definitely, the idea was that it was. It's the it's the crossroads of the multiverse, so everything passes through it. Um, and that's why we figured it could be a good starting point, a jumping off point, or a segue point. Kind of like yeah, a, yeah. There's a lot of bustle. There's that crossroads. There's that yeah. like a port. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, but where? What about a uh, what places do you kind of? S- start a, a space fantasy because mm-hmm. space fantasy isn't just like a vague concept we've all done like really concrete yeah. setting details for our space fantasy like so when you're introducing sort of a space fantasy setting what, what what is the kind of the the starting place for you and sort of what got you excited about that particular starting starting place and what did that sort of like what design opportunities that kind of present for you um i mean i think one way to do it is is the way i kind of usually approach it is this is a transcendent point in a traditional game. Um, so you probably are like in some sort of medieval setting. And then if you really want to kick it off a notch, that's when a portal is introduced or a spell jammership or whatever. And that really takes it to the next level, right? And it opens up everything. You go from being in a kingdom to being in a universe. And then it, it can be, as Diego said, mm-hmm. Star Wars. You're hopping around from place to place and having all kinds of adventures. Um, and the, the dirty secret is it's really not any different than a traditional setting. It's just skinned differently. But mechanically, it's it's all the same thing. Like planets are just different regions of a planet, if you think about it. Right. I like to think that the best starting point for um, our stuff is whatever game you're currently playing now. <laughs> <laughs> you can just start there take a campaign that you already got going on and then like you kind of maybe literally trip and fall into the astral sea i know one of the great sadness tragedies of circle of life tragedies of, of Spelljammer was the number of unnamed explorers who died so that your adventurers could find a spell jamming helm <laughs> <laughs> absolutely Nora, Nora, what about you what, what's kind of like your like when you when you think of like the perfect way to introduce uh, a new a new group to Unconquered, how, what is sort of like the, the starting point? Uh, what's their opening image or their opening space like? So I like to do something that is um, like very uh, okay. So the, the the first sort of exposure that I can really remember to to like sword and planet things uh, was. In Baldur's Gate 2, um, mm-hmm. when in in one of the districts in, in the early part of the game, in the slums district, there's just like a giant silver sphere that's like phased into a bunch of buildings. And you go in and it's like a planar sphere that takes you on. There's like a whole adventure in it. But that to me, it's like that that juxtaposition of the the what what you accept as being mundane, and then all of a sudden there's just like 
what is that? And it's it's something kind of innocuous and and then like uh, like as we mentioned, you know, that, that it that like takes you into this whole, you know, it's it's like the um, in Wizard of Oz when it starts off black and white and then like it snaps to color and then all of a sudden you're in this fantastical universe. And so I really like um, I really like cities, especially kind of like crossroads cities, sort of. Uh, so, so for example, on Concord, the, there's this like the city world of tower because that's like one of my favorite sci-fi science fantasy tropes is the whole planet's mm -hmm. one city, and tower is basically that, but it's basically just like it's it's like the crossroads of the universe. It's just a gigantic uh, city planet, but it just keeps going up and up and up like a big pyramid because pyramids and ziggurats are super cool, and so um, I. That is kind of I wrote as like a well you can put literally anything on there because it just there's always another layer it's like a big staircase right um, so I like kind of yeah like throwing people straight into the um, the sort of fantastical and the weird especially the weird and then being like because that's that's kind of a signal to be like look anything goes here uh, this you know you've got elements of your traditional fantasy, you've got sci-fi elements, you've got like acid punk elements or like some Mad Max post-apocalyptic stuff. So, so like, um, like markets are great because there's a, you know, you can have a reason for anybody to go to a marketplace, right? You've got like, uh, that was actually one of the most fun, um, random charts that I wrote for Unconquered was like, what do you see at the marketplace? And that's all just stuff like, oh, there's, um, there's a there's a rhino person that's selling fine bone china with an expression on their face like they've heard the joke a million times, and that 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 you know that that's that's pure sword and planet scene. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's fantasy. Yeah. You could put that in a fantasy campaign with like animal mm -hmm. people or whatever, or a sci-fi campaign. This person's from a planet of rhino people that has now been exposed mm -hmm. to this like, you know, the joke kind of thing. Right? So that's that's why. Duco, what about you? Where like you have you have a like a, a fairly robust like kind of galaxy spanning setting. Uh, what's kind of like your ideal kind of starting place for like putting your for kind of introducing players to it? Yeah, well, when, when I'm introducing uh, players to the game, I, I I just try to use like a pitch. So I say, okay, imagine Conan the Barbarian finds this this crashed spaceships manage to to. Mm -hmm press something and it's trying to fly and it's going to space to find this alien cybernetic sorcerer. So that's basically Storm Blades and Cosmic Spells. Like it's technology, it's crumbling and there's this, this cyborg sorcerers and aliens doing stuff. And, and, and like uh, Nora said, I like to use like cities and I normally start games and campaigns like in the Outer Rim, like in this, this ravaged world like it, it used to be like Coruscant, you know, it's like a huge uh, city-covered planet, but it's all destroyed. Just with small pockets of the buildings are still standing up, and it functions like a a port for for uh, smugglers, criminals, and all this kind of stuff. And and you go you don't go out of the the, the main buildings; they are secured by these criminal organizations because it's full of uh, mutants and and horrible creatures and and uh, Robots from from the 
galactic overlord. So you have to stay there. And there's all kinds of people from different planets just trying to to interact with one another and get jobs and, and, and try to do something. And they get to they like they go to a tavern or something to talk to their contacts and there's always some r- rival group there that's starting to mess with them and sometimes a fight breaks up or not and, and, and if things turn south their their patron gets there and chew everybody out and they start to negotiate what they're going to do or something. So they get this notion that there is there was this huge uh, ancient empire that technology was abundant, but something came up and destroyed everything, and now they're like fighting for scrap, you know. Yes. I also sort of started with a trading center. Like Enoch is is uh, is I, I decided to like start uh, with characters who know they're sort of in a in a in a void bearing uh, cosmos, but I really kind of love starting with a city, which is really challenging because then I love the city and all the players want to go to space. Uh, yeah, I mean, for Cosmosaurus, when I'm starting to play now, you're just gonna start something in the academy. Maybe they're training. They're going on their first mission for the for the Cosmosaurus, uh, you know, force. And it's it's more mission based, you know, at least in the in the in the beginning. So, nice. Nice. Uh, I think Mickey, we're ready for audience questions. I saw Dr. Lisa Paddle had a uh, question in there but uh anything else uh, i i pause there. so any like i'll i'll let you i'll ask you to further anything else mm-hmm. okay So the question is, what's the most important thing about science fantasy, the heart of it, and how do you capture that in a game? Um, and I will also let the audience know we've got about about uh, 13, 14 people in there that, uh, that we are open for questions. So uh, please type them in. Um, but really, I, th- I think uh, for me, the heart of science fantasy is just kind of opening up the weirdness of possibilities and the, the weirdness of like that we... Like historically, science fiction and fantasy were not these kind of disparate genres that didn't talk to each other. Even people that we associate with like modern fantasy um, or you know quasi historical fantasy, like Lovecraft, um, you know, we're, we're definitely playing around with science fiction themes. And I think as you get into sort of revisionist cosmic horror and revisionist cosmic fantasy, you start to you start to see a lot more really interesting things. Uh, open up about like uh, uh, Ruthena Imrus, uh, in which you know you you write you write novels in a cosmic horror or Lovecraftian setting, but you're writing them from the position of sort of the of sort of the deep ones, uh, or your 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 main characters are or deep ones, uh, and you're looking at sort of you know drawing parallels between between experiences of oppression and sort of uh, living with communities that have been devastated. Uh, by mistrust or uh, bigotry, uh, and I think, think uh, for me, a lot of a lot of space fantasy and cosmic fantasy just just kind of open up, bringing in and revising and reinterpreting the way uh, we frame um, a lot of a lot of the interactions between disparate genres, uh, and kind of you kind of push you kind of push all these sort of aesthetic choices together, and that kind of 
kind of creates a dialogue between them uh, that is both kind of big and gonzo and zany, uh, but also, um, but also uh, starts to question some of the, sort of the the assumptions that sort of underlie kind of the original writing of the genres. Um, so I'll, I'll pass that I'll pass that question on. Uh, what is the heart of science fantasy? Uh, and I'll pick on Nora first. Um, so what I was going to say, uh, actually, it, it's funny because this answer works for both the last question and this one. But um, because it was brought up like starting points and, and cities and stuff, but it really, to me, the perfect starting point and really the heart of, of what I think captures science fantasy is the cantina scene from Star Wars mm-hmm. because it's such an iconic scene and it's such a sense of wonder. Like I can remember, you know, I watched that movie when I was little and watched that movie today and still be like, I want to know the stories of like everybody at this cantina. Like, like mm-hmm. the, the little bat dude that's like drinking with the, with the anteater person. And I'm like, I want to know what their deal is and the band, like what does the band think of this? Right? Like there's people getting their arms cut off and stuff. And this, this band of like, uh, of musicians are just like, yeah, well, you know, we get paid crap, but this is, this is kind of our day to day. Right. So it's like, to me, it's, it's like the juxtaposition of the mundane with the weird and the sense of, um, the sense of fantasy and, and exploration that that creates because you're not restricting it to one genre or one, uh, epoch or one era like you might with, uh, with fantasy or sci-fi or whatever. So like for Unconquered, the, the technology levels, we've got everything from like, you know, Bronze Age kind of swords and stuff to, to like flying uh, triremes in space to like ray guns and matchlock pistols and stuff like that. And that's just like, well, you know, it's time and space. You don't have to explain it because it's magic. So, so why bother? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that I think is, is, is a, a big part of, of just like, buying into the gonzo and that sense of exploration and and uh, and yeah i think yeah the the cantina the star wars cantina that's if if i had to explain science fantasy to somebody i would just show them that and be like what's that sarah what about you it's really hard to follow that up because the cantina is really like quintessential but for me it's the joy of the unknown it's that there's something else out there to experience and to see and that maybe we don't necessarily have to murder it to experience it. <laughs> the, um, like, just there's there's so many more worlds, and there's so many more. Like when when you don't get bogged down by or limited by how you're getting there, um, or you know, will the air be breathable when I get there? Or, and even if you do include that element, if that's what you're interested in including. It's gaming without limits. It's something that allows you to explore endless possibilities and endless worlds and endless adventures because things aren't boxed in. Uh, Diego? I would say for me, like the heart of, of science, uh, science fantasy for me is just to think about the relation between uh, magic and technology like every setting has some relation in, in this setting they value more sorcery or more technology or it's one 
why why do we have technology if, if sorcerer exists or is sorcerer something new or is technology something new how they deal with each other and and do they battle against each other or they they can align to do something more or or i don't know it, it, for me it's like the central part is it's how they interact with one another their relations their rivalry or uh, they, their history i guess too and Dan. Uh, yeah, I think, as you said, Richard, um, I think it's, it's interesting to note that, like, originally, back in the day, these two genres, science fiction and fantasy, were almost one genre in, in most people's minds. You know, the, in, in the pulp era, the writers were writing serials and novels that went on to inspire that first generation of RPG writers in the the late 60s and the 70s, they were writing both, you know. Yeah. They were writing, you know, planet stories, and they were writing, you know, sword and sorcery stories. Um, yeah. So it's natural when you read 70s RPGs to see science fiction elements. That generation didn't have that mental divide that seems to exist now. Um, and, it's, and I think when you're able to say, okay, both of these things can be points of inspiration. It doesn't have to just be uh, Tolkien and Warhammer or whatever. Like you can, you can take in Star Wars and Star Trek and everything else that's science fiction. You could do Starship Troopers if you wanted to. Um, if, <laughs> if you're yeah. So I think that's that is interesting to me because and it, horror too, right? Yeah, you can absolutely just mix it up. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that they're both um, they're both natural. I think they naturally combine because they're both speculative. They're both questions about you know what could exist, not as opposed to what does exist. Something before we go to the next one. Uh, something you said, Sarah, reminded me of novelist Becky Chambers, uh, who technically I think self-identifies as science fiction, but uh, there's that that humans interacting with things that are strange, foreign to them, but also significantly larger, older, uh, and independent of them. So that, you know, there's, there's humans interacting with thing with, with a world, with a universe that is, uh, that for, for, for which humans are not a very important part of the, of the whole. Uh, and so you yeah. get these things, it's just like D like, like defocusing on humans sort of cantina scenes, uh, in, in, in Becky Chambers' work, but I think that that's sort of definitely, and then there's a lot of crying in Becky Chambers' work, you know. It's funny uh, because, yeah. oh, sorry, sorry. It's funny because there's, there are some, um, there are some weird fantasy things where it's always like one person who's new to this like soup mm -hmm. that has these many flavors. And I wonder sometimes why there aren't more interactions between these like interplanetary ingenues where like mm -hmm. your party is new to this and they just stumble upon somebody else that's new to this. Everybody is always like that guy knows what he's talking about, which is just so much like real life in that everybody is right. the protagonist of their own story and has no idea that everybody else is making it up too. Yeah. Like to engage with that on a different planet be fun. All right. Any more questions, Mickey? Should 
should magic work differently in space and in if so in what ways um uh, i this is something i borrow from Spelljammer and stuff um real quickly I, I we don't necessarily make magic work differently though i being me, I always have a ritual magic system, and, it, and ritual magic works better when you're only when you're surrounded by nothing but the void. Um, uh, which good luck on on breathing, but uh, other, but other than that, it works great. Uh, but uh, I think there's there's different concerns. I think this kind of came up in Spelljammer. Uh, like you know, one of the easiest things to do in the world is is fire magic, and you know. Fantasy games are specifically filled with tons of fire magic, and if you are on a, if you're on a, like a, a comet or a asteroid or a ship, you don't want things to just randomly start catching fire. Um, that's a you're in a pretty contained. Even if you're in a big breathable airspace, you, you you're in a pretty contained one, uh, and uh, you don't want things to just start randomly catching fire because that's that's it's coming for you soon. Um, they're hard to put out fast enough. Uh, so I think it's it's for me it's always been less of a magic working differently than and then the kind of magic that people trust or feel comfortable with is uh, is slightly different. What about for you guys? I'll start with uh, DM. Uh, I mean, I would say if you can, if you're creative enough and you can handle the mental load, hell yeah! Like I'm all for like having the the laws of reality change every time you go to a different place. That sounds great. But then, you know, that gets down to how complicated is your magic system and how much is there to keep track of? If you've got something very light, um, like uh, maze rats or something, maybe not the best example, but something very simple, like one-line spells, yeah, make it work differently. When we, we did uh, one of the stretch goals for Down We Go, uh, we did like a kind of a multiverse generator, and that was one of the things was like, how does magic work in this plane? Um, so I would say if, if you can if you can do that, that's interesting because it also upends the players if they've been playing for a while, it upends their expectations. And as long as you're not making it as like a gotcha one off, if if you make it something that changes things and makes it interesting, that sounds awesome to me. And something they can exploit, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you have anything that you would want to bring in in addition to there? Yeah, for me, I would say it really depends on what is magic in in the setting you're playing, right? Because uh, if magic comes from from the blood, you 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 sacrifice yourself. Maybe it won't change much because the blood is still in you. But if the magic has some influence from from the force of the void, like in, in Solar Blades, uh, the magic comes from from the void, like another dimension of corruption and stuff. And of course. It, you can use, the, as they said, like you can use uh, small like rooms here and there. Uh, if, if that's important in the adventure, okay, you're going to stop a ritual uh, in, in a vortex of the void in this in this meteor that's floating in space. So maybe there, like spells are more powerful, but they are harder to control or something like that. So you can increase their power level more easily. But if you fail, something catastrophic can can happen, or maybe. If you're near like a a dying star, you can harness their their energy for something. So you can use small small details to to customize depending on the place you are. So as they said, try to create something small that can be exploited in different ways and depending on where you are. And I think that works greatly. But some settings 
maybe that won't change too much, right? Especially said with psionics, right? Maybe psionics won't change much in space, and psionics, it's kind of magic, too. So, yeah. Okay. Sarah, do you want to add anything, or...? I think that magic in space is, you know, highly subjective to whatever flavor you're interested in. Like if you're, if you're moving through, um, you're moving through space between planes or planets and your magic is like drawn from star bodies and it's light sensitive and you happen to be very far between stars, it's probably very difficult to use that magic. Or if you land on a planet that has six stars that are going around it and your magic is based on darkness, you'd be screwed. Like, <laughs> which yeah. I suppose gives you the, uh, the uh, inclination to find somewhere else to go. Nora, what about uh, magic? in space um i'm always a big fan of making things more weird whenever possible and so like i really like games that do that so for example um like in dcc or in uh, the old dark heresy games where they have like the magic mishaps charts uh i love that kind of thing and so like tying it to like oh space is weirder so magic is going to be weirder in space is always fun or um the first thing that I thought of was in um, in Slumbering Ursine Dunes, they have the, the chaos index where, like, as you as you do stuff in the dunes, things get, like, everything gets weirder. And I think stuff like that is a great, um, it's a great way to, to, to gradually and then drastically introduce the concept of things being more bizarre and, like, magic affecting differently and, I don't know, like, weird weather effects and stuff like that. Like, it's it's... Uh, it's a great vector for being like, oh, well, um, I don't know, say your spaceship is, is leaking, um, like your reactor core is overloading and that's leaking reactor fluid into space. And that's created like a weird space oil slick that like monsters are coming out of or something. And I don't know. So there's there's like it, like the, the element of, of space as like this, this sort of third or maybe fourth dimension to the game and to the mechanics, I think you, you can add a lot more sort of random weirdness and elements to it that really help um, or really complement a, a, a sword and planet type game. So I think the last question we have is um, what do you want to see science fantasy in the science fantasy genre in gaming in the future? Uh, and I think it's a great wrap up question before we head out. Um, and and uh, I wish I had a D five on my desk or a D four on my desk, and I could I could ran I could figure it out. But I'll pick on uh, Nora first. So, um, so one thing that I've really like my my introduction to science fantasy was like periodicals, like weird tales, and so I love when people are doing like like monthly or quarterly magazines or whatever. So I really wanted to shout out to uh, Leo Hunt who does Vault of Varn because. Every single one of those is so cool and yeah. it's getting better and better and better. And so I love how uh, the world of Vaughn is, is like being told gradually and and, um, and it's like something to look forward to because that's like, it, it's sort of like what the what got into with comic books and it, it feels like, oh, there's a new Vaughn coming out. It's like, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, there's a new edition of this comic book coming out and you like run to the store to go pick one up. So it's, it's that, that sense of like, 
um, people doing smaller releases more frequently of just like little settings or, or little adventures or generators and stuff. I, I absolutely adore that. Uh, Dean? Yeah, I definitely. Uh, I think that's a great idea. I think it would be wonderful to see people do more serials. I think, you know, we're, that's what we're trying to do. You see a lot of one-offs and the one-off stuff is always great because you can just come, come up with a really great idea. But I think definitely um, de serials definitely lend themselves to the genre and it, it harkens back to the pulp roots, which I think is, is at the heart of it in a lot of ways. Um, I definitely would just love to see like, cause a lot of us are doing, um, very adjacent projects, which is really cool. It's awesome to see everyone's different takes, but I think there's a lot more out there that we, you know, we're in a, a niche of a niche of a niche. So it'd be wonderful to see other people coming in, you know, from different backgrounds and different inspirations that can do something, um, that hasn't even occurred to any of us because certainly in fantasy there's so much fantasy beyond just yeah you know north america and european medieval fantasy and in science fiction there's tons of science fiction so there's got to be all kinds of interesting combinations uh and things to do um not that like what we're doing isn't cool but there's there's certainly more than you could do than just ships in space so i think that that would be exciting to see other people um taking it to a whole new directions Diego. Did we freeze? Did I freeze? What? what? Diego, I think uh, oh. up, uh, to you next for like what you'd like to see in science fantasy or space fantasy. Well, uh, I really would like to see something like Void Borg or something like a space Mork Borg would be fun. <laughs> uh, I really would like to see maybe something like like you said, like periodicals, we could make something like collaborative, like we create a universe, like like a like a sigil, like there is this city with portals from dimensions and everything, and various authors creating like a a building that has a portal to some place, and all connects to this this single city, like various creators from various backgrounds, and, and to create something together collaboratively with people from all around the world. I think that would be fun. And yeah, probably something we, we haven't come up with, of course. Yes. I, I want to do something with Skeleton Warriors too, because it's another uh, comic I really loved when I was a kid, like a cartoon. So. And then I'll wrap with Sarah. Sarah, what would you love to see in Space Fantasy want, and Fantasy? I want to see lighthearted, weird, um, like, stuff that's adjacent to gaming but not quite like i want um a digest zine that has a recipe from another planet and like a cassette tape from another plane that has like a loot the body soundtrack of just like popular hits from the uh some interdimensional plane I want something that's like really evocative and flavorful of an otherworldly culture to explore that takes me there um, outside of theater of the mind, but like something I can sink my teeth into. Uh, Mickey, anything else that we need to do before we before we go? 
Oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I'm Richard. I am the creator of Enox Week uh, and a few other things, but I think today I'm mainly focusing on Enox Week. And you can find me on Twitter at arr underscore roo. Uh, and I will go clockwise from where I am. So that's next, Sarah. I'm Sarah Brunt. Um, you can find me at uh, plannercompass.com um, and on Twitter as Sarah Eliza Brunt and the Planner Compass Twitter with DM Wilson. And Nora. We let you, I we think you're your, muted. We lost your audio, Nora. Or no. Oh, there we go. Uh, I'm Nora, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at MonkeySpawGames uh, and just MonkeySpawGames.com for retail and on Itch.io and DriveThru for um, Unconquered and other science fantasy stuff that I do. Uh, DM and then Diogo. So. Uh, I am DM Wilson. Uh, you can find me... <clears throat> Uh, on Twitter at B3L7, uh, and as Sarah said, at Planar Compass. And Diego. And uh, I am Diogo Nogueira. Uh, you can find my stuff at my website. It's oldschool.publishing.com. Uh, and I'm on Twitter on Diogo underline oldschool. Like, not old school, like, it's like a school you go to, like a school. Like your your skull in your in your head, so old school. And I'm on Facebook too, uh, and on Instagram. Just look for Diogo Nogueira or Diogo uh, underline old school. And I think that's it. And by the way, it's it's unconquered with the art edition already out, or just the the artless edition. Just the just the free edition, the art edition. Um... Okay. We're still finishing up a layout, and then hopefully we'll be able to dodge all the publishing problems that everyone's having. I will okay. say that the uh, the artless edition may be a misnomer because it's already a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful looking looking network. So, uh, thank you all. Yeah, thanks for thank inviting you. us. Yeah, yeah, thanks for inviting us on. <laughs>